Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So, look, it's great to be home. We're continuing in this series called As Intended, where we're talking about relationship. Now, we did a, a thing with the One Focus Churches in Virginia Beach. No, I'm sorry. Where, where did we do that? I'm getting mixed up. That's right. We did it, we did it from Jacksonville into Virginia Beach. And we did a broadcast entitled Spiritual Warfare and Marriage, or the fourth voice in the garden. That's the, the name of the message. And it was so well received that Pastor Ian asked if we would do it here as, as a couple. And so I do the front end, which is kind of theological, and then Trisha will join me, and we'll do some practical instruction. Now, it has to do with marriage. Last week we talked about singles, and this week we're talking about married couples. Now, for those of you who are not married, most of the principles that we're going to lay out here are nevertheless excluded, and yet 80% of the, the attendance at NC4 has to do with marriage. So it's, it's something we can't ignore, especially since matrimony and marriage is being held in such disrepute in our nation these days. Is everybody aware there's an incredible assault on marriage, marriage relationships, and family. All right. In, we've been running through the book of Matthew in terms of pursuing this. In Matthew 19, the, the Pharisees come to test Jesus. And, and the word for test here is the same word that describes the devil's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It's the same thing. In both here and in the temptation narrative in Matthew, Jesus responds to testing with these root truths of Scripture. He quotes Scripture. In other words, the Scriptures are our safeguard. They're our, they're our hiding place, our resting place in the midst of the devil's onslaught. Now, we're using the Gospel of Matthew as our organizing test, text, but I need to point out that at the same time that the Gospel of Matthew talks a lot about relationships, all the various kinds of relationships that exist in the church. Its other theme is the clash of the kingdoms. Are you there? And there is this clash of kingdoms going on that tends to be forgotten in all of the other behaviors that we pay attention to in the church. So in Matthew 19 and verse 8, the Pharisees and the Sadducees by the way, it's unusual for those two groups to be together. I mean, the only thing that could unite them was their hatred of Jesus. So the Pharisees and Sadducees come to Jesus and ask why Moses allowed for divorce. And Jesus responded, and this is what he says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But, and then he says this, from the beginning... It was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for <clears throat> sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The word for sexual immor immorality is pornea, from which we get the word pornography, but it doesn't just mean pornography. It means, it means continued, unrepentant, covenant-breaking sexual. We're not going to get into that today. That's not the point. But the point is that the integrity of matrimony and marriage, Jesus picks up upon and ushers us back to the beginning intentions of God. Are you there? 
Now, the word for beginning here is not, surprisingly, Genesis. You would think that, wouldn't you? But the word rather is arche, from which we get the word architecture, archaeology. And it means beginning, but it means the beginning of a paradigm and a pattern. All right? And so it is arche. It means the beginning of the intended pattern by God for a marriage between a man and a woman. So Trish and I, I think we were chosen to do this because we've been married for 52 years this year. And that's a long time. We were together six years before that because we met one another as kids. And, and so we're, we're kind of like old shoes. Huh? <laughs> and, and when we speak with young married couples, I, I hesitate to give our history. That's because our, our age and context usually can be used by the younger generation to excuse themselves for what we have to say. Huh? It's like, oh, yeah, that may be true for you. Look at how old you are. By the way, that was Woodstock that was playing. That, that was, it was the purpose to that, I'll tell you in a second. So the area that we've been assigned to tackle is, has a strong biblical theological grounding. And we're also going to be sharing. We're going to try and be as authentic as possible with you all, if that's okay. Now, as I mentioned, the area of marriage and Christian relationship that we are tackling has to do with evil, the devil, our enemy, and his influence on marriage relationships. As leaders involved with various networks of churches over the last 40 years, Trish and I, we have seen more than our fair share of leaders' marriages that have failed. Really. Have you noticed during the pandemic the plethora of, of leaders that went belly up across the body of Christ? The charismatic Pentecostal body of Christ, yeah? The evangelical body of Christ. Mega churches with pastors that have, whose marriages have failed. Now, with the marriages of, that have failed and leadership that we've dealt with over the last 40 years of ministry, really 45 years of ministry, one thing is in me and perplexes me, and that's this. Most of those marriages seemed absolutely rock solid at the time. Are you there? And, and it, well, I don't think we're unwise enough to, to miss bad relationship when it's staring us in the face. But we have an enemy, especially among leadership, that puts a target on the back of marriages. Huh? So in, in an age of endless books on leadership and marriage, in an age of incredible therapeutic resources in the church, coaching, counseling, all these things, it's sort of ironic that we've all pushed to the back burner the old enemy, the devil, and hell's strategic interest in toppling Christian marriages, huh? We run to the behavioral techniques, and all those things are good. We're going to talk about some of them. But the truth is, we have an enemy. Paul says we war not against principality, or we war not against, excuse me, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and thrones and dominions. And so this is something, this is a bit of a, a wake-up message, I, I hope, for all of us, okay? Now, when we consider even recently the number of churches and ministries that have been toppled, as I said, it seems reasonable to say that hell then does have its focus on the family. Interestingly, Gen Xers and Gen Zers don't want to hear 
for the most part, ministries on marriage that rose up during the last century because they see it as kind of legalistic and at least distant. And I'm thinking of ministries like Focus on the Family and all those ministries that came out of Colorado Springs. So we're going to talk a little bit about an old and sometimes forgotten subject, which is spiritual warfare within the context of Christian marriage. So we've entitled this message, The Fourth Voice in the Garden. Now, when I read Genesis as a new Christian a lot of years ago, I was intrigued by what I expected to be the primal, perfect, ideal conditions that we were created into, which is called the Garden of Eden. Anybody hear about the Garden of Eden? What I expected was paradise. And although in the Torah, in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, Eden is never called paradise. Later Old Testament books allude to it being paradise, but but and, and in intertestamental literature between the Old Testament and New Testament, paradise comes to the fore. But by the time of Jesus, it was at least thought to be paradise. So I was intrigued as I first read Genesis as a new Christian. I was intrigued by what I assumed was going to be perfection. Huh? And, and some we are golden. We are caught in the devil's bargain. And we've got to get back to the garden. Now, some of you older people or younger people probably don't, aren't aware of that particular song. But listen to Coldplay's Paradise. It says the same thing. And he, <laughs> the English word Edenic comes from the word Eden means original. And it means perfect. So I turned and I looked at the creation of human beings. I looked at the creation of Adam and Eve, the first marriage, the first matrimony. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I turned the page to what I still describe as a preposterous surprise. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 describe this perfect wedding in a perfect place, perfect relationship with God, walking in the cool of the evening with the Lord and, and there's this primal flush of these newlyweds. The seed plot of everything is in Genesis. And, and sublime innocence, all that stuff. And, and, and I turned to Genesis 3, chapter 1. And it said, now the serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God, God had made. Interesting stuff, yeah? And he said to the woman, did God actually say? So he impugns the integrity of the Lord. And my head kind of exploded. You know, I said, like, what out of hell is this character doing here? I thought this was paradise. How could it be paradise if he's slithering around? Yeah. Like, where did he come from? Huh? And why is he talking to the woman and not the man when verse 6 says the man is right there with her? Yeah. And why was the man witless enough to stay silent? You know, Is there jeopardy in the nature of a man and woman's relationship, their progeny right down the tubes? What's going on here? After all, Adam and Eve were the first leadership couple as well. Yeah, go and, you know, take, take authority over all the earth. Wow, fill it. Have progeny. So the biggest question is this. Why did God warn them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he didn't warn them that there was a serpent out there? 
Have you ever thought about that? It's like, where did he come? And oh yes, there's this, Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden after they'd fallen, but, but is the devil still there? Huh? And so, was it really paradise in the first place? Okay, we're not going to answer those questions this morning. (laughs) But if you want to have a a series on that or a conference, I would be happy to do it. Because here's the deal. What I really want to point out is that all of the theological and philosophical things regarding the origin of evil, the nature of evil, the perpetuation of evil, yeah? All this bad stuff that's going on arise in Genesis chapter 3. The questions arise in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Huh? All those questions, they're hanging out there like big matzo balls, those questions, all right? That's for your Seinfeld people. All right. (laughs) What I would like to do just for a little bit is posit a couple of truths that I think as couples we ignore regarding marriage and our relationships with one another. First is this, humankind together was not created and placed in a morally and ethically neutral place. The deck was stacked. I'm not saying that we had to sin. I'm just saying it wasn't neutral. Paradise had an intrinsic problem. There was a worm in the Hershey bar. (laughs) We were given subjected to destructive influences, if you follow the Bible. There was an enemy seeking to destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with one another at the same time. So the first human temptation took place in the first marriage. And we overlook that, don't we? The devil approached them together. And his tactics were to lie, to accuse, to create shame, to destroy intimacy, and to kill the first marriage relationship. But most of all, he called into question their trust in God. So it may seem abstract, but it's important. I want want to make this point. The existence of evil predates us, predates humanity. Well, why is that important? Because I'll bet if we polled our congregation here or polled other congregations, I predict that we would be surprised at the number of people who think that the existence of evil is the consequence of the fall of mankind. Yeah? The fall in the garden. That's not true. Biblically, it's not the case. Even we are born into a stacked natural universe. Huh? And so the question arises, well, why from the beginning is hell so focused on our destruction? Why why is there a focus on us, especially maritally and generationally? Why does the first marriage seem like bait? Yeah, We know that evil has, we know the evil one has a beef with God, but what's his beef with us? And so why is our single adversary, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 8, why is he constantly looking to rapishly, rapaciously devour us, going to and fro, seeing to whom he might devour? While we don't have the time to do that theology now, the truth is this, that we together, we together were created to be, through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, 
the remedial creation to populate the new heaven and the new earth. That's Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. Our mission is to participate with Jesus. We're an intrinsic part of the fix that Jesus fixed on the cross. And the book of Revelation tells us that the new heaven and the new earth really is a paradise. How's that? God has created and chosen us to be able to partake in putting all the enemies of Jesus under his feet. Is that cool? Huh? Is that a great mission for the way we're to live and love one another? So the key truth then this morning is the first orchestrated confrontation between evil and people was in the context of a marriage. And I'm going to say that it remains so today. Any Christian marriage has a target on its back. But any Christian leader's marriage has a strategic target on its back. If that marriage fails, it opens up inroads for the enemy into a myriad of other marriages and marriage relationships in the church. At 40 years of dealing as a senior pastor with marriage relationships and divorces and remarriage. Like when we first started NC4, which was back in 81, something like that, and people were joining the church, we'd have a doctrinal session. And the doctrinal session in those days was really, it was like cool, it was interesting. Because we talk about, you know, things like what's the meaning of the incarnation and, and, and what about resurrection and all these great doctrines and the creeds and all these wonderful things. But somewhere around 1990, things changed. And almost, and you know, when we'd have to go through these things, you needed a flow chart to understand what was going on sometimes. Am I losing you people on this? I mean, it's, it was like, it's like amazing. And the reason you agonize as a leader over that is because if, if you get it wrong, it opens the door for all kinds of misunderstanding across the congregation, and it sets precedent for other marriages. It's like really tough. It's, it's lose sleep over this time, right? All right. Okay, that's the theology part. Now, all that stuff about evil, the perpetuation of evil, and where it's going, where it comes from, and all that stuff, that's the stuff of, of another session. You can't do that on a Sunday morning. But I, I, if, you, if, if you'd love for us to do it, we could do it. But that's not for now. That's the theology part. From the outset of our marriage, Trish and I were aware in terms of our, our relationship and the way we loved one another that there was a fourth voice in our garden. God, Adam, Eve, and where did he come from? Huh? And so, apart from all the, you know, the marital guides that we have and the wonderful biblical instruction, the pastoral guidance, th- there was a vigilance in us that we found that we had to maintain on a daily basis. And, and the vigilance is a spiritual thing. So today, for some good reasons and some bad ones, spiritual warfare, prayers of authority, binding and loosing, being cognizant, whisperings of darkness, the forces of darkness takes a back seat to all the behavioral issues. You know, when, when people come in, you come on and join me, Trish. When, when people come in to us for marriage counseling, we're not doing much of that anymore. Thank you, Jesus. You know, one of the things really when people get to us, 
The first thing that we notice is they've lost the ability to trust God for one another. That's a spiritual thing. Yeah? I mean, that's not a behavioral adjustment. That's a desperation for the love of Jesus Christ. So we believe that there are some things that we can share with you this morning just for about the next 20 minutes or so that, that are pretty simple, but people mostly don't do. And this is a time for us to consider. And even in relationships that aren't marital relationships, these things can be tackled or imitated or you know, put together in that kind of way. So, practices for flourishing in marriage. By the way, would you say our marriage flourished? Yep. Yeah. I mean, well, you we're know. We're still here. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're still standing, yeah? yeah. No, it's really, for, for, 50, for 52 years, it's been pretty wonderful. I, I can't ever remember waking up and wishing I wasn't married. Now, she does not have that testimony. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm being honest. <laughs> All right. It's amazing how many couples we've ministered to brag about carving out a date night and yet find it impossible to pray together. That's the behavioral part, you know. Date nights are good, you know. I'm putting this in, in, in the context of spiritual warfare. And here's the reason. Trish and I use the Lord's Prayer as our discipline template every morning. We've done it for as long, as far back as I can remember. Even when we had kids, people, well, you don't have kids anymore, people say. You don't know what it's like. Yeah, we do. We raised four kids. We have 11 grandkids, and we raised kids that weren't our own. I mean, biologically. And yet we found time to pray. But we did it in the evening. Yeah. Like when at those times when we had the kids, we did it in the in evening. evening. It's time to pray. And one of the key pieces of the Lord's Prayer is, Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil and the evil one. And that's something that we pray together every morning. We pray together this morning. you know, And we take it seriously that there is a pattern of darkness that's set out for us from day to day. Hebrew time is measured in days. Now, we're cultured in praying authoritatively, and we're needed. Prayers of binding and loosing. We look for... for Patterns of confusion in our lives, in our kids' lives. We look for what I call propositions of darkness. And we believe that there's, there are appropriate times even to summon angelic help. You know, we believe uh, that it's biblical. And we found it to be really, really effective. you have anything to add to that? Um, just one thing that I feel like is really important, just as you walk through life, marriage, family, is to really be attentive to the atmosphere. Really be attentive to the atmosphere. Because you can be having just a discussion, and then things start to go to another level. And then things start to go to another level. And then anger comes in. Then accusation comes in. You need to recognize that those are not attributes of God. The enemy has now filtered in, and you are standing with the enemy when you are engaging in that kind of an atmosphere. There are times that we've had to just stop and breathe and step back and say, we are going to engage after we've separated a little bit and taken some time. Yeah. What we look for are things like confusion, anger, like uncharacteristic antagonism. 
I mean, we're not going to stand up here and tell people that there's never been antagonism in our house. We had three, four teenage girls in the house and say, you know, it's like, holy moly. But unusual irritability, but mostly, I think we look for the absence of love. Yeah. And not, not the squirrely channel love, <laughs> but real love, sacrificial love for one another. And then the other thing is, with that, accusation because you can very easily move into accusing the other person instead of looking at yourself and looking at your own heart and then that can take another spiral so god says grubby what did you do there and i said lord the woman whom thou hast given me (laughs) (laughs) secondly we give one another the right to challenge any relationship that we have, not exclusively with the opposite sex, but especially with the opposite sex. You want to talk, talk a little bit about yeah. that? One thing I want you to remember, really seriously, is women know women and men know men. Women know women, men know men. So when he would come to me and there was somebody, and this is in the beginnings of the church, somebody that wanted to spend time and talk with me said, I don't want you meeting with that person. I said, why? There's no concern at all on my part. And he said, nope, it's going to produce something. I can see what this guy is looking for and the need in this guy. Don't meet with him. So I'll I'll meet with him. Yeah, you'll meet with him. However, on the other hand, women know women. Sometimes it's harder for men to grab hold of the fact that women know women. And especially because I see that, I personally see that men respond to need. Pastoral walk, when we first started the church and God said, start a church, there was a needy woman that was very spiritual, that was really hearing from God that needed to spend time with the pastor and then spend more time with the pastor. And I'm not saying let's go meet with him for an hour. I'm talking let's go meet with him for six hours. But see, when you're starting a church and you don't know what you're doing, which was my big kind of complaint with God, it's like, what are you saying build a church? We don't know what to do. You're trying to do everything right. and You're trying to figure it all out. So I went to him and I said, this has to stop. And he goes, what are you talking about? She's just giving me spiritual input. I have no attraction to this person at all. There's nothing like that going on. Nothing like that going on. But bottom line, what that woman was getting, she was getting something from my husband that was mine. That's what was happening. She was getting something from him that was mine. And I knew I was right on, and it was proven to be true when she said to me, yeah, but he's my covering. Yeah, ooh. I said, oh, no, 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 he is not. The elders of this church are your covering. He is not your covering. So I just want to make sure that men pay attention to their wives if they are sensing something is not right with another woman that comes on the scene. Now, there was a woman that came on the scene one time at church. She went up. I wasn't concerned about this one. I just thought, woohoo. She went, she walked up to the altar. When she came back, she grabbed his hand to kiss his ring. 
And I'm going, you certainly don't know what you're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. It was the strangest thing I've ever experienced anyway. I think it was more like Orthodox or... I don't know if she was... She might have been from the Orthodox Church. I'm not sure where they do that, you know, so... Okay, next thing. We give one another the right to challenge our paths of entertainment. Huh? Uh, now, I have to be careful here. This may involve yielding a measure of liberty to one another because we, we, we're, we are so different. It's, it's unbelievable. Our, the way we entertain ourselves, our, our appetites for food, just about everything except our love for one another is, is just different. I like spicy food. She liked meat, potatoes, Yorkshire pudding, and all those bland things. Anyway, but, it, but it's that kind of thing. But entertainment is an important thing. The, the, <laughs> this the other day. It's really funny. I, can't, I, I have to be careful how I express this. It has nothing to do with this church. But there was someone who was engaged to be married to someone who we ministered to years ago. And they're, they're about ready to be married. And he became engaged, and then he had a, I don't do social media, so he did a, what is it, Facebook thing with his his wife, which had a future wife, which had some really, apparently, uh, racy pictures. I mean, you know, pictures, and she said, I can't believe these pictures, you know, this is, like, gee, I hope this guy's okay. This is, this is really unusual. I, you know, this isn't just, you know, this isn't just mild stuff, you know, and. And I said, let me see. <laughs> and she said, you just stay right over there, old man. You know? <laughs> so, but we, we understand that when we get fatigued, that we can be vulnerable to burnout behaviors and watch things that we shouldn't watch, do things that we should. Entertainment that she doesn't like. I like shoot them up, knock them down, action hero kind of stuff. And uh, she likes... I know. I'm not going to say the Hallmark Channel. Uh, <laughs> you don't anymore. You used to watch it. It just drove me crazy. Anyway, so we give one another the liberty to go do those things. But there are things that I watch that upset her because they can be a bit violent or this or that. But there are things that she watches that bore me to death. And, and so we give one another latitude, but we... We entertain the right on moral and ethical grounds to say, no, turn that off. You know, it's that kind of thing. But you can't expect your husband's conscience to be your conscience and vice versa. And sometimes I feel like husbands and wives do that with one another. And then accusation and all the other things start. Okay, gotta make sure we got time here. Yeah, we careful use of language. The language we use with one another is an open door for demonic attachment. And this is kind of technical because there really are behavioral things that you can set into place in your marriage in the way that you communicate, assuming that you communicate, that, that guard against miscommunication or, or what the Bible calls corrupt communication. Scripture says, let no corrupt communication proceed from your lips. Well, corrupt communication isn't just accusation or nastiness or, or, or blasphemy or things like that. Corrupt communication can be simple as having a habit 
of saying to your spouse, you always do this. Or, or I know what you're thinking. Taking those kinds of liberties really is offensive. And so we weeded out how we communicate. And this happened about 10 years into our marriage. We weeded out the way that we communicate that's offensive to one another. So our communication times have been fairly good, fairly rich. But we learned by using the D word, the divorce word. That's, I mean, that's how we learned because I was done. <laughs> I was done. At the time in our lives, I felt like I couldn't deal with his arrogance or his selfishness or whatever things there were that were going on in our marriage. I can't deal with this. I'm done. I'm just done. But it was my commitment to Christ and my children that I did not walk away. I knew what the Bible said. I did not want that for my family. But it also, it also was because of, well, it sounds arrogant because first when I went and said, I'm done, I want a divorce, he said, I said, I don't love you. He said, yeah, you do. And then it was even worse. Then it even escalated. And I thought, how can you be so arrogant? This is one of my problems. But the reality was in that arrogance, in all honesty, there was humility because it was right away anything to keep this family together and to keep our marriage together. I will walk away from the ministry. I will do whatever it takes. We will go to counsel. There was humility. And so if we can find that when we get into these situations, and so that began our journey that shifted things, but it was really out of your humility. Well, arrogance moved to humility. I couldn't imagine being unlovable. (laughs) (laughs) so listen we're we're really fond of saying jesus is the jesus is the hearer of every conversation how many people have walked into houses and that's emblazoned in a picture or something that like that listen the enemy comes out there's a demon to jump on it and we don't look look we don't look behind every bush for a demon and and, and stuff like that. We're not, we're not demon chasers, but we're very conscious that that something greater than us, in terms of of its supernatural ability, can attach itself to the to to the corrupt communication that we use with one another, and we guard against it. We guard against doing it. Oh, and the other thing here is that. Oh, well, listen. A great example is listen. Watch the activity of the enemy in screw tape. Screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, you know, tactician. The devil's a tactician, a strategist. And, and so we're, we're very conscious of that. Anyway, here's a, the other thing. Never, ever lie. And that's just simple. Just don't lie. Yeah. So never spiritually manipulate your spouse into following suggestions that you've made or counsel you've given, you know. Now, don't be careful when you say the Lord said because some, because of something that you want. Actual manipulation in actuality can actually sometimes engage spirits, yeah, the wrong ones. And I've seen deep resentment in spouses that we've encountered in, who have feels as if they've been religiously or spiritually manipulated, especially males. You know, there's this kind of a feeling. I see some husbands feel like they've been taken advantage of. 
Yeah, I, I really feel like both of us have worked hard at just letting each one of us be me. So if I see a concern, I will share it, but I have to let the Holy Spirit go to work. I don't manipulate it. I don't push it. I don't demand it and vice versa. I just need, sometimes we, each, each of us can get defensive because you don't see it, but you, we're willing to pray about it and we don't demand the other person to then do what we've seen. We allow the Holy Spirit to change. Thank you. Here's, we're going to move along quickly here. When you sense enemy activity in your household, be in, instant in season to deal with it biblically and appropriately. I don't know how many times I've woken up over 40 years in the middle of the night with an unsettled feeling, either because of a dream or something going on, and Trish will wake up and say, what's wrong? And, and we'll just take authority over that in the name of Jesus. It takes two minutes, and you go back to sleep and slumber wonderfully dreaming the dreams of Zion. Or with the kids, you know, you, where the, the, the temperature in the household is going up and you know something else is going on other than just the normal trials of life, that something's crazy is going on. And we'll just stop everything, the two of us, and go get alone and say, Father, we, we just bind whatever's going on here in the name of Jesus. We release our kids. We release our household from any throes of darkness, any propositions of evil, and we name the name of Jesus over the lentils of this house. Something like that. Yeah, Yeah, um, in taking that authority, one thing that I feel really helped our marriage with him being a pastor is continually over the years from the pulpit to the congregation was a continual support of how healthy we were, how much he loved me. There were jokes, and people would sometimes go, aren't you offended? I said, I'm not offended by that, no. But it was a continual support so that we never, in all honesty, had an intrusion of somebody coming into publicly. And so people knew there wasn't a way in. See to it that the two of you together are walking in an active... Now watch this. This is something that I think most households are unaware of. See to it that the two of you together are walking in an active, revealed sense of what God is speaking to the two of you together. I'll explain. So a pile of years ago, we went to, a, I don't know, we were at some conference or retreat, say in a B&B, and one of the other couples at the retreat, they were reformed, conservative Presbyterians, and they were at the retreat, and... I came down the steps in the morning, and the wife was sat at the feet of of her husband, and it was like it was like something out of I don't know something out of a movie, and there's a fireplace, and she was sat at his feet, and he was reading scripture to her, and she was she had the baby in her arms, and you know was ready to take a picture and send it to TBN, and and I'm not that guy, anyway, so so. <laughs> So, so uh, we're having breakfast, the, the four of us. Well, there's more at the table. And, and I said, what were you doing? <laughs> she said, he said, I was washing her in the water of the word. Okay, so he was referring, of course, to you know, Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So the word, of course, is the scriptures, and she, he's, he's kind of, 
lathering her in the scriptures and that, that kind of thing. And Trisha said to me, and then she said to Trish, she said, yeah, when I nurse the baby at night, he gets up with me and reads the scriptures while I nurse the baby. And, and of course, we had a, she was nursing at the time, Trisha was. She said, you never do that. And I, I said, oh, great. I said, how about I make you a tape? <laughs> so... Anyway, so, 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 but the thing is, I remember reading around that time that I love that scripture in Ephesians, washing her in the water of the word. But the word there for word is not logos, it's rhema. It's washing her with what God is speaking to the two of you together. And so we'd been conscious of, of, I remember early in our marriage, she would say, so what's God saying to you? So what's God saying to you? And I, I don't know, you know. And and I realize that there's something in the two of us together that have to be walking under a revealed sense of God's apprehension on a daily basis. And it needs to be conversational and a part of who we are and what we do. No, we just need to move along. I'm yeah, looking at the clock. Okay. All right. So those two we can just say quickly. Yeah. Okay, you go. Always see to it that you and your... You end your day with it. You end your day with an agreement. Oh, end your day, sorry, with an agreement to love no matter what. We made it a pattern in our life to not let the sun go down on our anger. We just made it a pattern. And if we fought, we just said, listen, we'll discuss this tomorrow. I'm sorry. And then we discuss it the next day. But we made sure that we engaged with one another, that we were not going to let. We followed that scriptural principle, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Yep. And then also take Eucharist with one another regularly for spiritual intimacy, forgiveness, healing, and protection. Most days we have communion together. Morning, night, when it is, most days we have communion together while we're praying together. And I really feel that there is such that obedience and that practice. I mean, some of you are saying, well, they're going all Catholic on us here. Catholics can't do that because they don't believe in the priesthood of the believer. You know, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. So it doesn't take long to get a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, bring it out, and, and pray for, for, for pray the, Paul's prayer of cons, consecration over the elements and just take the body and blood of Jesus together. We've done this for years. It brings healing. It brings protection. It brings a resolution to your day. It's a sacrament. And so a sacrament is something that when you do it, it gives you the grace to live out what it declares. And what that sacrament declares is our unity in Christ. So we are way over time. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Develop some questions to consider about what we said and about what you do in your relationships. Maybe there are other creative things that, that, that you're acting that... that acting through that are really effective. But I'd like to close just by praying for all the relationships in here, maritals, single relationships, family relationships. Is that okay with everybody? All right. And then maybe we'll, we'll close without doing a song because I'm taking you guys way over. But thanks for hearing us out. Yeah. All right. Father, in the name of Jesus. <sighs> Thank you for marriage. Thank you for the protection of love, 
protection of one another. So we pray for an anointing on every marriage in New Covenant Church. God, give us a season of solidity, counsel, power, and might in every marriage. Every, every, Lord, we bless every matrimony that takes place. Lord, Lord, for any marriages that are under the assault of darkness, we break the power of that in Jesus' name. And we even release the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, angelic protection. And we extrapolate that living God to all the other relationships, fraternal relationships between siblings, relationships, extended families. Lord, Lord we, we break the power of, of bitterness, especially between children and parents and parents and children, Lord. Uh, and we ask for new inroads of light and love as we go through this this series that we're preaching intended, because we know you intended for families to be wonderful, even the family of God, this church, in Jesus' name. Yikes, amen and amen. Let's everybody stand. Why don't we just close with the Lord's Prayer? Because, huh? Can we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you all. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.